Uh, tonight we'll be reading two of the letters in Revelation 2, so Revelation 2 verses 8 to 17. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, these are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful, even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who is victorious will not be hurt at all by the second death. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has, has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food sacrificed to idols and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. Well, uh, it is good to be uh, in the same house together and uh, glad people can join us on live stream as well. You know, uh, last Sunday was International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. Normally this time of year we're uh, raising money uh, to purchase Bibles for the Persecuted Church. Somehow that slipped off the agenda somehow in the midst of COVID. But we remember that suffering continues to take place right across the globe and David prayed for some of that. We recognize that uh, persecution is real and so living in a safe, uh, comfortable place like this where we gather to worship is not normal for many people in the world. Jesus said, anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. In other words, when you become a, a Christian, you follow Jesus, you pick up your cross and when Jesus took his cross, he was going to die. He was going to suffer and he was going to die. And Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me, you need to expect that there could be great suffering involved in following Jesus. There could be uh, rejection, opposition, maybe in your family, maybe at school, maybe at university, at work. Um, you may get less money than other people. People may cheat you. People may work against you simply because you follow Jesus. Pick up your cross. And even if they kill you, it ultimately doesn't matter because you go to be with Jesus. You know, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, talking about someone being killed, Dietrich Bonhoeffer died at the age of 39. Now, uh, that's a lot younger than me, 21 years ago, if I'm thinking of my life. Yet his life speaks with great power today. For those who don't know Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he was hung in a concentration camp at Flossenburg, Germany, on April the 9th, 1945. Why? He was a pastor, he was a teacher, he was a leader of a small training school, uh, for the Confessing Church, this is the church that stood against Nazi Germany, stood against Hitler, saying, no, we will not cooperate with such a violent man. We will stand against him because of that, imprisoned, executed for the faith. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. 
And one person has said, it set on fire the faith of thousands and thousands of people. Because when you read that book, and it talks about what it's like to follow Jesus, how costly it is, it really energized people to give everything to Jesus. He said the most fa- somebody said the most famous and life-shaping sentence in the book is this one. The cross is not the terrible end to an otherwise God-fearing and happy life, but it meets us at the beginning of our communion with Christ. When Christ calls a man or woman, he bids them come and die. It's costly to follow Jesus. and I think this is what John is saying to the church in Revelation. Because the believers in that first century, as many believers across the globe today, suffer for their faith. In Iran, in Afghanistan, where Christians have been killed, where women and children have been raped and, and married off to other people. In Burkina Faso, where Emily used to work. In Nigeria, where people come through to villages and burn Christian villages to the ground even today. In North Korea, and in lesser ways in Australia. Persecution is real, it's normal. And in the church at Smyrna, in the first century, Smyrna, by the way, is part of what is modern-day Turkey, just near the coast, uh, towards the Mediterranean, you hop over a little bit to some Greek islands just from there, right? And uh, that's where it is in what was Asia Minor. And clearly, they suffered terrible trials for the sake of Christ. And he encourages them and encourages us, firstly, to be faithful in suffering. He says, the sufferings we endure for Christ. I know your afflictions and your poverty. I like the fact that God says, I know it. I'm watching. I'm with you. Right? I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know about the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are at the synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. God says he knows their afflictions. The word for afflictions is, talks about a serious trouble. He said, I know the burden that is crushing what you guys are going through. God says, I see you, faithful believers. And it just reminded me of visiting uh, some Christians in, in Nepal. And we went to this one guy and he said, tell us your story. He said, well, a little while ago, some, uh, some people, some communists came and took me away from the village because I've become a Christian. And they hid me up in the mountains, tried to re-indoctrinate me into uh, communism rather than Christianity. It said after three or four weeks, uh, I finally escaped and I came back home. And he built a church and he runs a church on his land. I mean, who's have experienced anything like that? Not us, right? Anyone been kidnapped for three or four weeks, taken up to somewhere and tried to re-indoctrinate you? There he was. But you see here, four things. Number one, they experienced poverty. I know your poverty. He's talking about these Christians were really poor, extreme in their poverty. Now, Smyrna, on the other hand, was a prosperous and wealthy city. It competed with Ephesus as as Asia's first city, right? It had an excellent roads, excellent natural harbor. It was one of the most prosperous cities in Asia Minor. And yet the Christians were poor. Why? Well, maybe God saved poor people, right? And the poor people went, well, we need a savior. His name is Jesus, and they came to Christ. Maybe they were ostracized. Maybe the rest of the, the Jews and the Gentiles didn't want anything to do with the Christians. Good chance of that. Or they, we found that they slandered them. They talked down about them. And so no one maybe wanted to trade with the Christians. So their businesses went, uh, went downhill. But whatever the reason, they were poor. I read about a story in uh, Pakistan and, uh, where uh, there was a Christian who was accused of speaking disrespectfully about Islam. And uh, so then they arrested him and uh, 
15 days after they, they attacked him and arrested him, uh, they attacked the villages where they lived. And this is a report from a Christian organization working in Pakistan saying 250 families have been displaced by the attack and one Christian was killed in the violence. In other words, they don't like you, so they come in, they accuse you of things, and then they drive your families out. You'd be poor, you've got no home. You have no goods any longer. You have to find somewhere else to live. That's what it's like for some people. Extreme poverty. Secondly, slander. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. False rumors. Hate that. Hate that. You know, when I was teaching at Maryville High School, I was 21 years of age, and uh, I was running the Christian group at lunchtime. And one day, one of the young girls who used to come to the Christian group were on the bus going to a sports event, and she really, um, she was always friendly previously, and now uh, she wasn't. And she looked at me and said, you're a hypocrite. I know what you used to do at, uh, t- at university. You know what happened? A year 10 student made up a slander because he wanted to discredit me. So this year 10 student, I remember him, Lawrence, she told me who it was. I can picture him. He went and told all these young kids, oh, you can't trust Mr. Gratsunas. He runs that Christian stuff. But, um, you know, he was sleeping around with his girlfriends at university. Oh, you won't believe what he got up to. And then I told this girl, by the way, I never went to university. I went to a teacher's college. And I started to unravel the slanders he had heard. People do that to Christians all the time, to bring you down, to attack you, to challenge your credibility. But he says here, the Jews are doing it. They don't like the Christians. They don't like the ones who believe in Jesus the Messiah. They're attacking God's people. What do you do? Jesus said, or they said about Jesus when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Cop it and prove by your lifestyle that you're not like that. You know, when I became a Christian out of the Greek Orthodox background and uh, I was converted to an evangelical faith, a Bible-believing faith, I was accused of being a Jehovah's Witness, joining a cult. False rumors were spread around the community about me, what it was like. It took time to win people over with grace, with love and mercy. One of the most exciting things I I experienced when when Caitlin was baptized as a nine-year-old, and uh, Caitlin had just read the Bible before, it's my eldest daughter, she's pretty old now, Uh, but when she was baptized, when she was nine, and uh, I invited all my family, knocked on every door, visited all the relatives, 60 non-Christians in this place. We did a Greek-English translation service. I preached in English, another mate preached in Greek, and they all came. Because we're loving them, you see. When they slander you sometimes, just get alongside them. Have that conversation. Show them that you're different, that the Spirit of God is in you, and you you can turn that slander around. Some will be thrown into prison, he says. Do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you'll suffer persecution for 10 days. The devil puts people into prison with God's permission. Remember, God superintends everything. God is in control of everything. Satan seeks to work, and God is really saying, I know he's going to do it. It's okay. It'll be a testing time for you. He's trying to bring you down, but I will refine your faith while you're in there. I will refine your faith. The daughter of William Booth, the founder of the Salvation Army, was placed in prison for her faith. And in that, she wrote a number of hymns. One of them goes like this. Best beloved of my soul, I am here alone with thee, and my prison is a heaven since thou sharest it with me. Even in prison, 
God can be glorified. Finally, death. Faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Some of the believers will die. Some of the believers in Nigeria have been killed for the faith. Some believers in Burkina Faso, killed for the faith. One guy, uh, his name was Polycarp. He was from Smyrna. That's why we tell his story today, because uh, he was a native of Smyrna, and he was in his mid-twenties. He'd been uh, taught the faith by the Apostle John, and within a few years, he became the bishop, people believe, of the church at Smyrna. Sixty years later, they tried to get him to renounce his faith in Jesus. He was condemned by the provisional governor, and the Jewish community was actively against him in the burning of Polycarp. And conversation went something like this. He was being escorted to the city to be killed. The officer in charge urged him to recant. What harm can it do, he says, to sacrifice to the emperor? Because he wouldn't sacrifice to the emperor who wanted to be God. He said, I only give my life to Jesus. He said, just sacrifice. Don't worry. No one will care. Give him a few animals or plants, whatever you want to give him. Then you'll save your life. And he refused to sacrifice to the emperor. There's only one saviour that he, he worships. Someone said, respect your years. You're old now. You don't want to be killed. Swear by the genius of Caesar. Swear on I'll release you. Revile Christ. Insult Christ. Put Christ down. He says, for 86 years I have served him and he has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me? And the proconsul persisted. Swear by the genius of Caesar. I have wild beasts. If you will not change your mind, I will throw the wild beasts at you. Call them, he says. Set him free. Here I am. Since you make light of the beasts, he said, I will have you destroyed by fire unless you change your attitude. Then the angry Jews and Gentiles gathered wood for the pile. Polycarp stood by the stake. He asked not to be fastened to it. He said, don't tie me to it. And he said, O Lord, almighty God, the Father of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ, through whom we have come to know you, I thank you for counting me worthy this day and now of sharing the cup of Christ among the number of your martyrs. They said the fire was lit, the wind drove the flames away from him, and it was going to prolong his suffering and his burning, so a soldier put him out of his misery with a sword. There he is in Smyrna, this place that they're talking about. Friends, there's a call to suffer the Bible gives us. Jesus said, if the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. Remember these words, I spoke to you, no servant is greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. In this world, you will have trouble. That's the bad news. You know what the good news is? In these little verses, just in 8 to 11, God gives us some words of comfort for those who trust in Christ. And John Stott lists seven truths that come out of these verses. Now, I quickly run through them with you. Number one, Christ is eternal. He is the first and the last, verse 8. Remember chapter 1, verse 8 says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and was and who is to come, the Almighty. That's God, and there's Jesus saying, I'm the first and the last. In other words, Jesus says, I am God, God the Son. He is divine. He is victorious, secondly, who died and came to life again. Death, even violent death, could not stop Jesus' work. He is alive. Thirdly, He is all-knowing. I know your afflictions. God says, I know what you're going through. I know what it's like. I know what what it's like in prison. I know that you've been slandered. I know you've been persecuted. 
I walk amongst the lampstands. Remember, Tim was talking about it the other, the other week. Lampstands represent the churches. Jesus is walking along the churches. He, know, he knows what's happening at Nawi Baptist tonight. He knows exactly who is coming tonight. He knows where you're going to sit. He knows the number of hairs on your head. God is watching. God knows. He knows what's happening in that little village church in Nigeria or, or the, the couple of Christians who gather secretly in North Korea. I know your afflictions, he says. And he's balanced. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. See, God has an accurate perspective of what's happening. Although you are suffering and you are poor in the world's eyes, you are rich because you have a relationship with God. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not for a synagogue of Satan. So I know that they're not real Jews because they're not real Jews from the heart. The Bible says a man is not a Jew if he's only one outwardly. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, Romans 2, 28 to 29. God says, I know, I see the truth. Further, he is in control. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. He says, I know what's coming. Don't be surprised. God's not surprised by COVID. He's not surprised by arrest. He's not surprised by slander. He knows what's happening. He's purposeful. The devil will put some of you in prison to test you. Satan puts you in prison to test you, but God said earlier puts us in prison to refine us, to show that we are really his disciples, that we persevere in the faith. And finally, he's generous. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life, he says. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Friends, as we prove our genuineness or the genuineness of our faith, we will escape hell, which is the second death, and enter heaven, which is the crown of life. And this comfort is all made possible by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. As we come to the end of this uh, mini-sermon on Smyrna, before I can, I'll come to Pergamum in a moment, we're going to sing together. It's a song called Once for All. It, it, it reminds us that even though Satan is at work against his people, Jesus has died for us. Our sins are, are taken care of. Jesus has risen from the dead. He is alive today. As he said earlier, he has died, but he has risen, and that gives us great comfort and great hope. Let's uh, stand as we sing together.